Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all 7 continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Bernie, how are you, mate? I'm fine, Chris, fine. Good. And you're, are we allowed to say where in the world you are? It's not going to get you uh, targeted. No, I'm fine. Well, no, I'm in Spain. I'm in Spain in the, uh, in the lockdown of all lockdowns. It's like being under the Stasi over here, mate. I tell you. <laughs> I'm just going to say, Bernie, I'm just going to say a few key words here. Mm. Um, which apparently work well for promoting our video when it goes on YouTube. That's not actually the reason I do it, but I think it just helps to get people at home to know what sort of thing we're going to be talking about. Um, so we're going to be talking about the Royal Marines, yeah. Unarmed Combat, MI5, yeah. uh, the Intelligence Services, yeah. Middle East, um, bodyguarding, this kind of thing. What what made you settle in Spain? Uh, well, I haven't really settled. Um, to be honest, um, uh, yeah, I bought a place in Spain with. Uh, uh, it's one of the things I did when I um, I got back from from Iraq. I thought it'd be a good way to invest my money, but um, and. You use it as a holiday home. So I live between here and Belfast. Unfortunately, um, I flew over the day the lockdown happened over here. So um, I'm sort of stuck here. And, uh, you know, my family, my wife, family and uh, friends are, are back in, in Belfast, you know. So um, that's just the way it is. So not even, with, not, not even with your contacts in high places, could you, could you get yourself back? No, no, no way, no way. You know, I think uh, you know, parachuting into uh, the air, airport airport in Belfast would be a bit much for anybody, especially at my age, mate. My, my knees don't, my knees wouldn't put up with it now. Yeah. Should we start with the Royal Marines? You you were a PTI uh, in the Marines, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. I I spent twenty four years uh, in in the Corps. Um, I left as a colour sergeant, joined as an 18-year-old. Um, um, my first, I joined in, in 1973. And, uh, and uh, my first unit was 4-5 commando. So um, straight in as a, an 18, 18 and a half year old, 19-year-old, straight into, uh, into Northern Ireland, first tour, across McGlen, 1974. And um, I was still sort of uh, knocking about Ireland doing stuff, you know, when I left. So, um, yeah, it was, it, you know, Ireland's, Ireland's played a big part in my, how, my life. How was that initial tour then for an 18-year-old? Were things going bang? It was, it was probably, it was when um, there was a proper shooting war. You know, we were in a place called Crossmaglen in South Armagh. And um, it was... There was the big IEDs, you know, the the the, the big um, 
improvised explosive devices on, on roads and stuff like that. So you had to helicopter in. But it was all ba it was all patrolling. It was all exactly what you know Royal Marines should be doing, and it was all um, yeah. It was a great time. I know it sounds strange, but it was a great time. You know, it was physically demanding. You know, um, and it was lively. You know, it was, it was a lively tour. Um, did, you, did you lose any Marines? Yeah, we lost uh, two two really good friends over there. Um, one of them was a personal friend of mine. A bloke called Mickey Southern, um, and uh, it, it 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 actually shows you know, how different the attitude was then in the court uh, to to stuff. Um, you know, I talked to Marty about it, our mutual friend there. You know, Marty Stalker, and we talked about we we talked quite a bit about PTSD and all the rest of it. You know, I can remember um, uh, the two the, basically what happened is that um, uh, we'd reoccupied a, a, an observation post, an OP as we call it, you know, um, overlooking a place called the Drummer Creval, uh, in, you know, looked into the, into the south. And uh, it had been left. There was an argument whether they should go back in or not, because it was against all decent soldiering principles, really. But, you know, the guy, this, this guy who died in the end, um, Dennis uh, didn't have a lot of choice and he had to go back in. So, um, uh, without, you know, digging up old wounds for people, but, you know, the IRA had managed to, uh, to bury about an uh, incredible amount of commercial explosives in, in the front trench. So there was a, it was like a trench type area, but there was a dry stone wall in the middle and at the back was a sort of sleeping area. So the guys in the front of the trench were obliterated, basically, um, and happened very, very early in the morning. <clears throat> and then with the company and then had to go back in and, and literally, you know, put a cordon in. Um, and then uh, you had to uh, go an extended line and just pick these guys up, you know, just little bits you made. So yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty traumatic for that, for that, for that, for that time. And the, so, problem, um, the problem when you put a cordon in, Bernie, is there can be a secondary device, can't there? Oh, there can be, yeah. And that device is designed to take out more people than, than, yeah. than, than, than the first. Yeah, yeah, there is. But, uh, you know, when you're a 19-year-old, 18-and-a-half-year-old, 19-year-old Marine, you don't think about that. You just do what you're told, don't you? You know, you let other people, you know, think about the tactics and and all the rest of it and um uh it, it was done properly anyway because you know where, where we're talking about really i mean the majority of it was in the south anyway you know uh and ban the area ban of, bandit country they call it don't they yeah 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 they called it bandit country and um we we sort of um anyway swept this up Anyway, this is the PTSD bit of it. One of the guys feels a bit shaky at the end of it. I mean, the guy's only my age, you know, 18 or whatever, and he goes up to the Sergeant Major and says, oh, I feel a bit strange, Sergeant Major, you know. Uh, um, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know whether I can go on, you know. And the Sergeant Major was a, was a, a rock-hard, made, made, of, made of, like, face made of rock, you know, <laughs> type ML. And he just said, listen, son, he said, we've got, we've got a, 
we've got a um, we've got a saying in four five commando, and it's this: uh, it's dry your fucking eyes and get on with it. <laughs> That's what we did. That's what we all did. You know. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, no, not not really what you call um, what you know. I mean, you'd know as trim counselling. You know where you, you know after after a guy's had a contact comes in and a guy sits him down. So you know how do you feel about it? You know, which actually works. Um, but no, no, there were different times. Remember the guys that, that took me through training, and the guys who were the senior NCOs and junior NCOs had been to um, uh, Aden, Borneo, places like that. You know where their idea of counterinsurgency was totally different than maybe, you know, anybody else's idea of counterinsurgency, you know? So that was my introduction to, to that side of life. Gosh. Did you go down south to the Falklands? No, I didn't. No, I was, uh, I was actually, um, I was actually probably one of my biggest regrets, you know, because I, at that time I'd been a professional soldier for nearly 10 years. So, um, uh, no, I, 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 uh, I, I always, I think I always regret that. Um, but on the other side of it, I was at a, a place called HMS Warrior or um, Northward in London, where, where the actual um, war was r run from. You know, that's why they just wouldn't let us go anywhere. You know, everybody volunteered to go down. Obviously, but, you know. And I, I was I was a corporal and I was uh, in charge of one of the watches down there, you know, like 14 Marines looking after, you know, not only, um, you know, what went on during the war, but also the nuclear deterrent, you know, is is a uh, lot to do with down there as well. So, um, yeah, so um, how we couldn't do anything really, but um, it was interesting for me, frustrating because you could go around and you'd, you do your security checks in the evening, you go around the map room, you'd see, oh, right, I see two power are going to hit new goose green tomorrow, you know, or whatever, you know, and you'd, you'd be up on whatever was going on, you know. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting time. Yes, my God. And you become a PTI, was this, what made you decide to go into that branch? Uh accident really <laughs> to be honest. I was uh, again not too long ago not, not too long after that I was uh, I was in um, I was in um, working at Warrior and I was um, I was working on, on a door uh, to try and get extra money you know and um, quite a few of my bootneck friends used to do it so it was quite a lively club we worked at we had this big scrap one night and um, I managed to actually seriously damage a couple of guys that I shouldn't have seriously damaged. And um, cut a long story short, this sort of West London crew um, uh, decided that they would um, take their revenge. So um, uh, they um firebombed a house that they thought i was living in unfortunately you know fortunately for me it was empty empty house you know it was number 17 not number 37 and i found myself because this this family had irish connections the branch got involved and said you you know you need to move so um 
I fessed it all up to, to the powers that be, you know, what happened. And um, because I'd pa I passed a PT, a quaint, a quaint thing, like four years before, um, I found myself on a, on a PT2 course, um, which I, I'd never regretted. But, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it was a great, it was a, it was a, it was a great course to be on. But one minute the, you're there, you sort of, uh, you sort of, um, um, you know, in the midst of London. Um, luckily, I'd kept myself fit, and um, you know, doing um, one sort of job, and the next minute you're in this gym getting beasted, <laughs> beasted around the gym. <laughs> but I, I love the, the PT branch. A fantastic bunch of people. Yeah, I, I, I never regret doing it. I wasn't a particularly great PT either, mate, Billy. I mean, okay. my gymnastics and stuff like that was absolute crap, complete your, crap. Your what was? Gymnastics. Oh, okay. You know, it, it was the old epitome. In the old days, it was the epitome of, you know, that a PTI should be able to go and, you know, take a class, do a back somersault, you know, on the dais, you know, come off and just all singing or dancing. I was never that man, you know, never that man. Do you know what I mean? Um, by the time this happened to me, I was like in my 30s anyway, you know. But, um, yeah, I got through it okay. Um, and I, I got some great friends for it. Um, and um, my my, um, my forte had always been the martial arts anyway, you know, whether it be boxing, karate, jiu-jitsu, that sort of stuff. So I started teaching that. And I was teaching that when I went to... Uh, uh, the core and actually fact, the RSM there at the time, bloke called Peter Brown, um, actually sort of helped me a, a bit in some ways. You know, it, like in the core, you do need a mentor of some sort, don't you? You know, always, you know, you always need somebody to to sort of fight your corner, and and he was that man, and um, um, because he wanted that unarmed combat training back back in the core, you know. So I sort of that was my part of the ship, as we say say in the core you know from the, from then on so that's what i done i was your run on combat guy so um it and also training and stuff like that and and done all the things that you know a pti is supposed to do you know i took class you know uh you know class taking you know swedish pt uh bottom field you know commando tests commando course you know all that sort of stuff um but um yeah, I, yeah, it was accident, really, Chris. To be mm -hmm. honest, mm. it's just like what well, sometimes in life it's like it's like dominoes, isn't it? You know, you've got a big line of don dominoes. One hits one, hits another, hits another, and before you know it, fucking here I am in Spain, and I'm, you know, in in my mid sixties, <laughs> talking to you. You know, yeah. one thing, everything in my life has happened in a crescendo. Nothing has been particularly planned. I've had sort of I've always been, I've always wanted to achieve things that I've wanted to achieve, but just happens because it happens in a sort of almost natural way, but it's not natural. It's like, uh, you know, it's one domino hitting another and just uh, propelling you forward, you know, and before you know it, you, uh, you, I'm sitting here talking to you, mate. Mm. And this will, this, in my experience, this will, this will open doors as well. So. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I hope so because um, I, I'm, I'm my generation, okay, um, and uh, you know I love talking to guys like you. I love to talk, you know, with our mate Marty Stalker, very, very bright, uh, you know, 
film producer type, mm. you know, finger on the pulse, knows exactly what's happening with social media and how to do this, how to do that. I'm not that person. You know, I, came, I come from a different generation. But um, I am trying to... Um, I am trying to get there. I've had, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a website up and running now and, um, you know, I'm trying to sort of engage in different ways to try and, um, you know, sell, sell my products as such, you know, my books and stuff like that. But, um, uh, you know, I'm not, it's, it's, uh, it's hard, you know, it's hard, but I realize it's hard for everybody, but, you know, for, for, for people in their twenties who, who just, I mean, you know, I could talk to, uh, you know, my granddaughter and she'd be talking to me and having a good conversation. She'd be texting 10 of her mates at the same time, you know. I mean, I don't know how that, how that works. But that's, that's, just, that's just what they do, you know. So um, uh, We perhaps need to talk about a podcast for you, Bernie, because you're never going to be short of fascinating guests, right? And... <laughs> I never really started selling books in any significant quantity until I started podcasting. And yeah. when people become interested in you and they're like, oh, and he's got six books out. Yeah. And suddenly you've got six other, you know, there's kind of like six other calls to action there that people can access. Yeah. They, they would never yeah. have found out, found out about. And it's, um, yeah, it's great. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, when we've said our goodbyes to our wonderful audience. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I've sort of, I think I've had one tweet on Twitter and uh, one Instagram post so far. And obviously, you know, Facebook, you know, you know, Facebook, um, that was one time that was the only way to talk to my kids, you know, because they'd never answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm a bit better than i was and i realize it's something that you need to do you know especially in our sort of situation buddy you know because yeah uh, as i said before um we don't realize people are interested you know in in um in in sort of cr some of the crazy lifestyles that we had you know um you know not really uh sex drugs and rock and roll you know <laughs> mm. <laughs> or, yeah, you yeah. can't, it, it's just that you can't explain to somebody that hasn't been in the Marines what some of the crazy stuff you get up to just by virtue of being in the Corps. Yeah. Oh. And some well, of you would never do it on your own, would you? You know, I mean, like, uh, we're talking about the Union Street, and I can remember coming back from, uh, coming back from South Armagh, I was with 40 Commando, we're in 76, and there was big, um, there was big, uh, there was a big hoo-ha in the press, you know. Nuns go on rampage in Union Street, and we had a we had a rig run, and we decided that we just take sheets, you know, dye a couple black, and dress as Dominican nuns, and that was our troop. <laughs> and obviously, ends up in a fight, doesn't it? You know, in them days, you know, it was sort of more natural. Isn't uh, it, I know isn't it sad, Bernie? Isn't it sad? They've already yeah. banned wearing women's clothes, <laughs> which is just, yeah. you know, that's against your fundamental human. You should be able to wear yeah. what you want in this world. So you, you know, you're not setting out to hurt anyone. They, yeah, they, yeah. Will, they will ban rig runs, won't they? They'll ban fancy dress. They will. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the funniest thing, isn't it? You know, some of the stuff, 
Um, I can remember coming as well, coming back from Brunei and um, with uh, with four one and uh, having a seventies night rig run. You know, which was handy for me because I still had some of the clothes. <laughs> still, still do, mate, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but guys were getting their platform sold shoes made up by the local uh, cobbler. You know, in uh, Sitang Camp outside Sitang Camp, <laughs> and just getting bigger and bigger. You know. And it was so funny. So we're, we're in deal and we've got the ridiculous clothes on. I mean, absolutely over the top. And, uh, and luckily, you know, there was no trouble because you couldn't fight with them on anybody. <laughs> no, so it was good fun. No, I, I don't regret anything uh, of the call. I, re I, regret, I, I, I regret some of the things I'd have done differently. Um, some of, uh, you know, some of the mates have lost, you know, I bitterly regret, regret that. Um, and, and, and how random life is, you know, how it makes you realise that life's very precious, you know, and it's probably more precious than the average civilian thinks it is, you know. It's like with this COVID-19 thing, all of a sudden people are going, they're realising, you know, that you know, people are dying, you know. Um, well, that's that's the way we've lived our lives, really. You know, because we, you know, we don't, you know, you, you go away. Um, I spent uh, I spent nearly five years with the British Army in, in Helmand, U.S. Marines and, and the British Army, and I was on the Afghan side of the camp at Nadi Ali, so I, I was with them guys like every day every day of the week, and um, and you know you'd you'd see oh, over the period of that time. Um, you know, you'd be chatting to somebody, you know, and, and uh, a young US Marine or something, you know, and then you, you go to breakfast next day. Where's, where's Corporal so and so? Oh, he, he died yesterday, you know. Uh, you know, um, guys come in, they're a bit glum. What's up? Oh, can Corporal so and so got tagged, you know, he's back in, uh, you know, he's been dusted off, don't know what's happening to him or whatever, you know. Yeah. And, and, you, and you just accept that. Uh, because it's just your life, you know, and if you didn't accept it, it would, it would, well, you shouldn't be there really, to be honest. If you can't accept it, you shouldn't be there. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, we lost a lad in Ireland, but no sooner had we got back from Ireland than two of the lads that were in my troop died within weeks of each other. One, one knocked off his motorbike and I was just going to say motorbike, motorbike accident, yeah. The other one just went, walked into the guardroom one day on duty. Heart yeah. Just an un yeah. unknown heart problem. And, yeah, so within the space of, like, this, and, you know, we're talking, like, two months, maybe there's three yeah. people that are effectively your brothers and your best friends. Yeah. Have just died of these random... You know, mm. the, 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 the lads, I think it was two lads killed surfing on a train in Thailand, you know, and it went through a tunnel. Yeah. That's, that's them, yeah. them gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Stevie, uh, who I was on ship with, knocked off his motorbike in London, was laughing. He was with his oppo who was driving the bike and they were laughing in the middle of the road and then a truck went over, went over Steve, you know, and. Anyone who knows the guy I'm talking about will just tell you he was the loveliest man. He was such yeah. a, such a kind guy, mm. 
and uh, and that's it. And you don't you don't like mourn it, right? Well, I mean, maybe some people do. You just go, oh, oh God, you know, and you'll hire a car and go up to the funeral or whatever, and then you just crack on crack on with your life. And that's it. It's it is it is, it is that uh, that that ethos that I think the court does give you is crack on. What else? What, what else are you going to do? Mm. You know, you, you you can't do it. And then when you get to, um, you say, you know, I didn't go, I didn't go down south, but I, I went through um, uh, uh, the Second Gulf War. You know, in in with 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 the U.S. infantry, and that was absolute carnage, absolute carnage. You know, because it was just, I mean, that U.S. war machine is just like. You know, say shock and awe. You know, sort of sums it up. You know, so you, you, we were travelling at the very end. You know, with the medics and stuff like that, and you were just going through a battlefield, and there would just be bodies everywhere. Um, you know, um, tanks. You know, can smoking away. Um, you know, bodies burning. Um, you know, guys, guys in trenches. You know. That have been just killed with concussive effects of ordnance, um, just, just absolute total carnage. And you realise then how, not only how precious life is, but also how easy it could be snuffed out. You know, it's just like, um, you know, it just, it's sort of. It, it's I sort don't of, think people do realise, though, Bernie. You know what? I'm putting together a video at the moment, a podcast uh, that I did with um, two friends of mine. They ran aid convoys into Sarajevo during the siege. Yeah. You know, mm. They risked their lives at every checkpoint, getting the food for, to, to the, essentially to the kids. And just watching some of the footage of that this morning, like, I don't think people understand. You've got a father holding his baby. Yeah. Who's just been killed for some stupid fucking reason that in five years, even in five years' time, certainly 10 and 20, no one's going to give a fuck about. You know? No, it's true. No one's going to give a shit that it was that pol political party arguing with that or the... No. You know, and this father is crying over losing and any, any parent gets that right mm. any parent gets that but because the media is so clever at hiding this and selling this narrative all the time we still got our young people think war is for heroes and let's go and like smash all these yeah and i mean you know a lot of guys i mean um i, I know like the iraq war has been uh, portrayed very very negatively and uh, well, let's face it, it was the wrong political decision for a start, you know, and done nothing to improve it. Although I feel a bit, I feel a bit, um, I don't know, I've got, I've got to, to be honest, I mean, because, because I'd done it as a, as a media person, as a contractor, and I was very, very well paid, you know, very well paid. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, I feel sort of guilty in a way, you know. But when you talk to the young, um, uh, American Ranger guys that were on in in our battalion, you know, I mean, they were doing it for all the right reasons, as far as they were concerned. You know, they were doing it for they're going to liberate Iraq. You know, they're going to take Saddam Hussein down. You know, because he's 
he's got these weapons of mass mass destruction destruction that could kill us all you know and and everybody you know everybody thought he had because we were in like um full nbc kit for you know right the way until we got to baghdad so i mean you know it's not as if nobody really thought that was the case everybody just did think it was the case and uh, they've done things for all the right reasons that turned out to be all the wrong reasons you know because up to two years after the war if you ask an average driver one of our nbc drivers you know one of our um, media drivers and they were paid a lot of money compared to other iraqis and you said to them um, you know what do you think of saddam and they'd say well i would love him back because at least at that particular time you know we could walk around the streets and people weren't getting killed or raped or you know uh, you know you could you could drive past fallujah without getting robbed and you know and all, let, all, let, let's not forget it was a stunningly beautiful country wasn't it you know oh yeah i mean it yeah it 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 depends i mean it's a huge country isn't it i mean like uh, if you, you're up in Kurdistan there, you've got, you've got scenes that, you know, Scotland, you know, of, it, it, it could be Scotland. And then you've got the deserts and then you've got, um, you know, Baghdad was a, was a, was a lovely city. It was like, though, it, it was like it was, um, it stopped in the 1970s, if you, if you understand what I mean. So mm -hmm. you'd be in a hotel and, um, you know, that, that telephone would be, circa 1970s because of sanctions and stuff like that you know but the people were fairly happy mate to be honest you know and initially when we went there um you know you were going around to do uh, stories about the local art you know scene in you know university of baghdad or, or whatever you know and you know it's, it soon went to you know this year's sunni war which was every bit you know as bad or as worse as anything that went on in the second world war you know mm. uh, it was absolutely terrible um, jumped, i've jumped ahead a bit haven't i yeah <laughs> no i mean it's it's okay i'm 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 trying not to go down any sort of political route only because like anyone listening knows i've done that to death and it's un, it's not intentional it's just i believe in well that's not it's not important but could we go back because you taught the special boat service so the british special forces uh special ops i believe our american brothers and sisters refer mm. to them you taught them how to fight how did that come about yeah um yeah I'll, I'll, I'll qualify that i mean i think the majority of guys who get to that stage know how to scrap you know that's what they do you know um, they might they might not be afraid to scrap it doesn't know necessarily mean they know what to do <laughs> well unarmed combat in in the royal marines has always been part of our dna really okay but we've lost it a bit we lost it a bit in the 70s i think and because that was because whoever um whoever was particularly in in charge of that that side of it would, would lead it down his alley you know so if the guy was a judo guy everybody would roll around playing judo you know or if it was like uh, guys like big ted kelland who was a karate guy everybody will be doing karate um what what we tried to do and not only me but other guys um who, who were who were around the court at the same time as me and like-minded we tried to get it back to basics you know we tried to get back to the original we fairburn um get tough um 
stuff that works that you can train to anybody you know um and uh so bernie uh, can you just for our listeners explain you know the commandos were formed to go behind enemy lines in the second world war they had their commando could you explain you know what, yeah what, yeah what, what, um basically then um uh a thumbnail sketch so um you know second world war um I don't know, we've seen the film the, uh, the other day there, the, the Darkest Hour, fantastic movie. Um, so, so things were getting pretty bad for, 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 the, for the Brits, you know. Um, then post Dunkirk, um, we'd had a bit of a kicking by the Germans. And one of the things that, uh, that, that Churchill stood up, he stuck two, two different types of organisations. And I'll say only two different types because the actually parachute regiment commando people it, that was the same ethos that come from the same thing you know this idea that we we need to have uh, soldiers of the hunter class we need soldiers that are going to be aggressive we need soldiers to go behind enemy lines to to stir things up you know to to build up that sort of spirit at home that we you know we you know we were going to uh, retaliate and um and of course, the other thing he, he formed or was instrumental in forming was the SOE, uh, Special Operations Executive, which were the, the guys that went in and organised the spycraft and organised the resistant, resistance organisations in the Balkans and in, in France and, and all the rest of it. So they're very much allied, if you like. Um, so uh, this sort of commando ethos was, was where... Um, they first started training guys, you know, uh, in sort of super fitness. You've got to be a super fit guy. You know, you've got to be able to do your business at the end of extreme physical exertion. You know, even now, um, you know, at the end of a nine mile speed march, uh, you know, at Limston, when guys say, as you know, you know, they ought to be expected to be able to do a troop attack or something at the end of that nine miles, you know. Mm. Um, and um, to that end, um, so when things were sorted out halfway during the war, they, they, they all trained at a place called Aknacarry in Scotland. And Aknacarry was the ideal training ground. You know, you had, um, it was Lord Cameron's place, Aknacarry Castle. Um, that was where the officer's mess was for the training centre. The guys used to get off the train and with all their kit, kit bags and, and walk, you know, eight miles to, the, to, to, the, to their tented accommodation in the winter. And they were absolutely put through a super fitness regime. Um, and back in them days, uh, the guys who were the unarmed combat instructors, uh, there was two major guys who were running the training. That was uh, a guy called uh, Sykes and a guy called Fairburn, captain and a lieutenant. And th these guys were seconded. Um, they were ex-military, but they were seconded from the, uh, from the Shanghai police. And what they'd done is they'd study all the martial arts in um, in Shanghai because it was it was one of the roughest places to be a policeman because these guys could scrap. So they learned a lot of the techniques. And then they devised this thing, and it's called Defendu. And Defendu was um, the first unarmed combat was taught to the commandos. And it was it was um, it was basically how to kill somebody with your bare hands. Okay. Uh, there was lots of other things. Um, knife fighting was a big thing. Not so much fighting with a knife, but killing somebody with a knife. 
and that's if you see this dagger here that I've got on, which is a uh, commando dagger, Fairburn Sykes fighting knife. That's a symbol of our commando forces. But that was just meant for taking sentries out, for killing people, stabbing people, basically. And um, that's what the wartime commandos used, you know. And we had a very fascinating meeting, me and this guy, uh, uh, Dave Richardson, who was a friend of mine, who was working uh, with me uh, on the same sort of projects at Limston. Big old monster of a man. We were down at the carry meeting some of the old commandos that, uh, remember, they were still alive there. This was, this was in the 80s. And we were meeting some of these guys and they were telling us, you know, these stories you wouldn't believe, mate. You know, <laughs> absolutely. You know, mm. so um, did you ever actually use a commando knife? Yeah, four or five times, you know, and just absolutely hard as nails, guys, you know. And I suppose when you look at it, they would have been, oh, I don't know, they'd be younger than me now, you know. Um, but but real real top guys and uh, so what we done was we revamped the whole thing and um, and packaged it and then we started training the recruits in in the old ways if you like okay funny enough Chris I went back in uh, 2015 to Liston and I'd done a full week there as a guest instructor for the uh, for the um, the course um, top unarmed combat instructors but it's changed completely not completely it's it's as good as it ever was but it's taken a lot more seriously in some ways because these guys now um the likes of um guys like ricky thomas and um uh i'm dead i i could i could name quite a few of them but um, they were the guys who 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 looked at the whole thing and um and and actually uh alloyed their training to what the US Marines do, you know, which is a long, long course, you know, where um, where it's sort of, um, it's mixed martial arts based, you know, there's a lot of Gracie Brothers stuff in it. But there's a lot of good, there's a lot of really good stuff in it as well, you know, it's a lot of um, striking, kicking, you know, sh shin strikes, all the stuff that, that really is going to be functional, you know. Nothing My that you need to... understanding, Bernie, is that you know, the, the commandos in the Second World War trained up there in Scotland, potentially put onto an aeroplane in their, in their section, flown up to Norway to, say, attack the Germans who are building, yeah. their, you know, their heavy water plants so they can create all this kind of weaponry. And they had to be able to steal up behind an enemy sentry, grab them, yeah, around the mouth to silence yeah. him, get that knife in quick, yeah. right? Now, in a war film, that looks quite a simple thing to do. In a reality, you've got to kill another human being with basically with your bare hands and this little sticky thing. They're going to squeal. They're going to fight back. They're going to be screaming. They're they're going to be scrabbling for their weapon, right? My point is, it's one hell of a to be able to do and then you've got to be prepared that he turns around and he's a bigger guy than you some big German <laughs> lad who's been eating his sausages and then it's a fight fight literally a fight to the death yeah fast forward where the Marines took on more of a rather than a commando raiding role they took on the infantry mm. infantry role so the same as the British Army mm. where uh, where 
the chances you're going to be in the situation I just mentioned is kind of possible if you're jumping into an enemy trench, but it's slight, but, but there's so many hundreds of thousands of people in the military that are going to go into that war. Not, you can't train a hundred thousand infantry men or whatever the British figures is 50,000 to all have that skill. And then of course in Northern Ireland, it, it just wasn't, absolutely wasn't really needed now what with afghanistan it's going back to i mean some of the the the, the boys and girls i hasten to add that have been over there have, have mm -hmm. had to get ha hands on yeah and and it's it's worth knowing isn't it just because you join the marines that don't mean you know how to fight Loads no. of us used and, to and I, I think probably it's it's different now for young people joining the marines now because uh I mean, like uh, you know, if you if you look at um, you look at a troop of marines, I say I was back, I was back down there in 2015. I mean, you're looking at a troop of marines now, and they all look like the local rugby team. They're all massive guys, you know, and like they've obviously had um, educationally, they're they're a lot a lot brighter than now than they would be. Um, but the commando ethos is very very important. So you know, whether 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 you've done whether, whether you're going to slither behind a sentry on, you know, in the Second World War, or um, you're going to be super infantry and you're going to be that more, that bit more robust, you know, than a normal soldier because you've had more training, um, um, it's still, it's still the training is still valid, you know, and the unarmed combat training they still, they still do knife training, they still do knife disarms, they still do sentry takedown. Um, because it's like everything else. If you thought about the skill, then you wouldn't want to do it. Mm. It's like it's like it's like pressing a trigger on a rifle. Okay, you don't you don't you don't press a trigger on a rifle thinking I'm going to kill that man. Uh, you know I'm going to really enjoy this. You do. You're, you're looking at a figure eleven target. You're not looking at a person. You're looking at a target. You know, and like when you when 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 we train people to do knives, you show them the right way to do it, but you do it a lot, you know, so it becomes instinctive, you know, so the guy knows how to do it. So he doesn't have to think about doing it when he when when he does it. OK. And I know that sounds quite still. It's like everything else in the military. You teach a skill. It's repetition, 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 muscle memory, muscle memory, you know. It's like parrying a punch. It's like stopping a kick. It's like doing this. You only do it through practice. And what we needed to develop um, was something where you didn't have to disappear to a Shaolin monastery for 10 years to learn. Okay. Because I, th I think, functional. yeah, that's right. It's functional. And I think a guy now does 32 lessons of unarmed combat when he's, when he's in the latter halves of uh, part of training. And um, the, the guys probably do more now than they've ever done. Okay, um, and that's because you know when I was in four five in in nineteen seventy four. I mean, you know, half half of the unit come from Glasgow, and they were all <laughs> great blokes. But really, they've been scrapping since they grew up, you know. And the and and the other and the other and the other half of the unit come from places like I came from, South London or or Birmingham or places like that, where you know or or pit villages, you know, in Wales, where, you know, scrapping was just part of their nature. 
Um, and we were a different animal then, you know, the core was different then. You know, it recruited in different ways, different people. Um, now, uh, I think the average, the average Royal Marine uh, troop has got, you know, 60% could, are educationally qualified for officer, you know, if they wanted to, you yeah, know. Yeah. But guess what? They don't want to. They just want to be bootnecks, you know. So um, I'm glad I did it. And, you know, if a young person said to me, you know, what do you, what do you think? You know, I would go, yeah, go for it, mate, because at the end of the day, it's great spiritual body armor for the rest of your life. Because if you have been cold or you have been hungry, you know, you've had all the fucking adverse effects of commando training. And then you go to a unit and you find out what it really is to be hard. You know, Norway, jungle, that sort of stuff. You know, when you're sitting at home watching Netflix because, you know, you're locked in with uh, COVID-19, it's not that much of a fucking problem, to be honest, you know. No. I'm coping okay. You know, I'm so coping okay. Bernie, let's go back because I'm fascinated that about you train the SBS. Uh, yeah, I mean that was that was a fantastic time in my life. Now I must I must admit that um, of all the organisations, well, no, I can't really say that. Can't really say that because it's all different in some ways. But but the thing about to, what you, what people have got to understand about the SBS, it's these guys, okay, are the cream of the core, okay. Well, actually, they're the cream of the services now because it's combined, you know. So, you know, you don't have to be a Royal Marine to be an SBS guy. Um, but what I found different to them than other SF that I've worked with is that they've, they've got, A, a sense of humour, and B, they're quite happy about doing what they're doing. You know, so it makes for a great atmosphere. So, like, Paul would be 6 o'clock, PT, everybody together, hours PT from the CO downwards. Um, it, there was teamwork. There was all the things that you, you, you think uh, that are great in the military. And um, I, I'd, I'd actually, uh, I actually got offered the job by a guy, the CO at the time, and uh, I got a phone call. I was, a, I, was a, I was a PSI, Permanent Staff Instructor at RMR Bristol. I got myself a really good number. And the phone come, went one day, and a uh, guy on the other end of the phone is, hello, he said, Colossal Plunkett? I said, I said, yeah. And he said, um, we're, and it, we'd been having a lot of wind-ups, you know. And he said, uh, from Special Boat Service, he said, uh, he said, I'd like you, uh, can we talk? And I'm thinking, oh, fuck it, this, this is a wind-up, right? So he said, I'd like you to come down, he said, for, for a couple of weeks. And... Um, uh, I'd heard your name from the uh, CEO at Limston and all the rest of it, and I, I just went, fuck off. <laughs> and I got a phone back from the RSM, who was a mate of mine, he said, you've just told the CEO to fuck off. <laughs> so, um, anyway, went down, done this two-week course, and at the end of it, um, I, I, was, it, I, I had sort of specific parameters. At the time, it was for M Squadron, and M Squadron were the uh, MCT specialists. They were the guys that were roping down and, and doing all that. And um, uh, the special, it just turned into the special boat service. It used to be the special boat squadron. So there wasn't enough operators to operate. So what used to happen was um, they'd get guys that were like uh, super bootnecks, if you like, you know, young lads who were super keen. 
they've done selection, but, but not the SBS selection. And they become what you call the black troop. And they were like the QRF guys, a bit like the FSB is now, you know, for, for our guys. What's uh, that FSB? FSG, uh, field support group. Yeah. Okay, so they're they guys from paras and marines who go and support the special boat service, special airport service. They're their cordons. They're the guys that give them their extra firepower, if you like. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I'm using acronyms. And no, it's okay. Because you understand, I'm thinking the other people won't, obviously. So um, that, 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 that was the equivalent. So um, um, I went down there um, and uh, done this thing for two weeks. And, 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 and basically, uh, the CEO said, I want a system, you know, where... Um, it's 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 got a range from um, unarmed combat, you know, you know, for C squadron guys for knives and all the rest of it, right up to a guy who's going to be in sixty pounds of body armor because it's the old body armor um, in black kit respirator. He's got to be able to keep hold of his weapon. He's got to be able to do this. He's got to be able to do that. He's got to be able to take somebody down very quickly you know, a panicking hostage or a, or a bad guy or whatever, you know. So um, I worked on a system and we come up with it and we done a demonstration and he loved it. And uh, and I was getting ready to go back to, to uh, Bristol the next day. He said, listen, he said, you found, I was coming up for a draft anyway. Uh, he said, uh, uh, what are you doing next week? And I said, well, I, I can, I'd love to stay. He said, well, what about staying for a couple of years? <laughs> So I ended up there for the best part of two years, and it was a, it was a brilliant time in my life. It was a brilliant time in my life. Great bunch of guys to to work with, um, fun, real fun. You know, like uh, um, just every day was you got up and something different was going on. Um, I was part of a thing called Counter Terrorist Wing, which was. Um, which was eight of us sitting around in two um, uh, sort of porter cabin things, you know. And um, uh, we, we used to run the training for, uh, for, 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 the, for the unit. And um, so, you know, if, if, if it was a breaking training, the guy or someone thought, what are we doing today? I don't know, let's get a helicopter in and do some helicopter sniping or well, let's get on the range. How many rounds we got there? We got 4,000, let's go can do some room combat let's do this let's do that you know like two three lots of fizz a day you know and and then we, we used to get to test the kit as well you know and um, we've got these things you know they're they're these trike things you know what's the word i'm looking for chris you know the three the quad bike know, sort of things quad bike, yeah, yeah the quad bikes when they first come out the military quad bikes like can you test these yeah so you're just going everywhere in a quad bike, you know. It was just a brilliant time. Great guys, and um, and 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 funny enough, like um, you know, they're the guys I ended up working with when I left when I left the corps, you know. So it was great for me. Did you get to way. meet any of the Navy SEALs while you did that job? Yeah, I I, I actually took um, uh, I took we went up to uh, Macrahanish and worked with SEAL Team Two. Great bunch of guys. Um, I went up there with a, with a mate of mine called Gav. Um, we had a great time. They really looked after us. And then we had a, a, a visit from SEAL Team 6. We had eight blokes from SEAL Team 6 who stayed with us for a couple of months. And uh, 
that I, I actually, you know, um, just great actually taking them guys for an combat because they're big dudes, mate. Do you know what I mean? I mean, what, the what, what they do seem like big old guys, those Americans. They what? are. I don't, I mean, some of them aren't. That's a, uh, no, no, you know, some are, some aren't, but they are very, very fit lads and they tend to be sort of big rugby, sort of, um, sorry, American football type guys, you know, I don't know. It's just that it's just what they are really. But great blokes. I mean, um, brilliant sense of humours and um, and stuff like that. And then I w- I'd be taking these guys for unarmed combat, you know. Mm. And you had to get your demonstrations right, you know. Um, so, you know, pistol disarms, you know, the guy would go, I don't see how that works. Well, okay, you, I'll show you. <laughs> and then it go, fucking, that's brilliant, you know. And they were really nice fellows, you know. Um, what, uh- we had... How did they compare, Bernie, to the... See, the Navy SEALs is often referred to as kind of the American version of our SBS. Yes, yeah, it is. And it's very similar. They do similar jobs. Um, like, um, um, they'll do exactly very similar jobs to, to our guys. Um, the um, American SF is huge compared to our SF, you know. They've got guys um, on the fleet. They've got forward-mounted um, SEAL teams, uh, you know, to do various jobs off various ships. They're a very swept-up organisation, and their training is very hard. And they cross-train with with with, with, uh, with our guys all the time. So, um, what sort of stuff would they do, Bernie? Can you give us some examples? Because I think people would be fascinated uh, in this. Yeah, uh, uh, diving. Well, yeah, I mean, um, they would go from a small boat, you know, um, with rebreather stuff so it doesn't give you any bubbles or whatever, and, and they'll plot a way into a, to a cove or a, you know, a beach. They'd come up, you know, they'd have a cache, they'd cache their weapons, a cache their stuff, they'd go in, they'd do an insertion, do their task, and then they get might get you know, picked up by a helicopter, you know, two days later, three days later, you know. I mean, like um, Afghanistan, um, Iraq were, were were places where their skills are absolutely unbelievable uh, in, in changing the dynamics of that, especially against Al-Qaeda. I mean, used to have, um, when I was in um, Iraq doing the intelligence job, uh, um, there, there, was a, there was a place um, outside... Um, outside uh, Baghdad um, where they had a thing and had a bunker where all the um, SF worked from it was called Task Force Black um, and Task Force Black was um, US SEALs, Delta, um, Aussie SAS, Kiwi SAS, our SBS, our SAS and they were just going out every night and it was like it was it was industrial scale raids, you know. These guys could do two a night, you know, um, and then to get debrief come in and get the intelligence packs, you know, ready for the next strike the next day. I mean, that's how uh, 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 a lot of these top targets were taken down. You know, actually, the middle middle management and the upper management of Al Qaeda disappeared within a, a six week period. You know. Um, that sort of features in, in the, uh, 
you know, when I write, I, I, I concentrate on, on things that happened, you know, basing it in, in fact, okay, um, basing it in a situation where, where it's readable. I, 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 I read a lot and I read a lot of um, uh, um, sort of a military adventure type fiction and stuff like that. Some of it's absolute shit, you know, because you know it would never happen. And you know it's in some fictional country somewhere, you know. Um, but so everything has got to be, you know, as far as I'm concerned, when I write a book, I like to write a book that I would like to read, you know, with some proper stuff about the proper weapons and the proper tactics and, you know, based in, 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 a, in, a, in a place where, you know, this stuff was really going on, you know. Um, yeah, that... That time was a very, very fascinating time. And that, that was like when the SF really came into their own, you know, every part of it, every nation, FS, uh, SF had, had a, were doing exactly what they were trained to do. What did you say that operation was called Black? Was Task Force Black. Task Force Black. And Task Force Black. Again, because I know people are fascinated in this sort of thing, Bernie. How then, in, in that arena, do your SAS and Delta Force kind of operators, um, how, how do they fit in, into this equation? And, and the other regiments that I probably haven't mentioned. Hey, that, um, that basically, uh, everything was run from, from, from the Americans, really. And... And what would happen is guys would be in their in their eight 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 twelve man groups, um, depending on the size of a unit. So it's different than a you know a SEAL team is different than a uh, a troop of SAS guys, you know, whatever. Troop of SAS SAS guys can 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 vary, you know, um, depending on what they're doing, what rotate rotations they're doing, or whatever. But say you look, let's put it in 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 our perspective you know if you had your section you had your your eight guys okay yeah then you would go from one mission to another so you'd either be prepping getting ready to go out prepping your weapons to go out getting briefed up on the target getting ready to go out on the pad at night coming back the next day smashing smashing a place uh, you know, um, and that's that was a generic word for it. You know, taking a target down, um, coming back. You've either you've got the prisoners, you've got the you've got the information, or you've got you know, you, you know you've had to kill them. So you come back in again, um, and that information then was was taken by the intelligence specialists, and the intelligence specialists would walk up work up the next. Uh, intelligence pack for the next operation mm -hmm. and then other things would feed into that so you know human like the unit that I work you know I worked for in a previous time um, would be would be gathering that information through through informers through through spies um, uh, they'd, they'd be getting their leads them spies are being debriefed um, reports would be written it'd be compared to other bits of what we call uh, the intelligence cycle you know um, you know, um, uh, stuff like uh, teching, you know, what goes on on phones and internets and shit like that. Yeah, okay. Everything is cross-referenced 
And if that target is a target, it gets hit. You know? I and, heard that, that I, someone, I saw a message the other day, someone wrote that the US Rangers took out more of the, the targets in the Middle East than any other unit. Does that uh, yeah, well, it might be because the Rangers have got this um, uh, again, this this backup thing for the for the SF. Um, uh, some of them guys are incredibly young as well, um, um, but they're, they're they're the equivalent of our commando units, mate. Basically, you know, they're just young. They're super troopers, basically. They're guys that are immensely fit. They do a very very hard selection. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, of course, but the U.S. Rangers uh, trained at Akinakari during the Second World War as well. You know, so some of these big raids, like Second Ranger Battalion, you know, on the the cliffs at uh, Hack, whatever. Okay, they trained at Akinakari. You know, they trained in our tactics, and we've still got this close affinity with the Rangers. You know, so um, it's pretty good actually for an ex-Marine because you've got this. You've got this affinity with the U.S. Marines that I love, and you also got this other affinity, like with the U.S. Rangers, who are basically not that different than you are. You know, <laughs> so uh, so so it was all good. Especially when I was working with the with the with the U.S. Army and and uh, U.S. Marines. Wow. And oh the um, I don't. I think the idea of a a body count is a bit. Vietnam isn't it you know it's like uh, I, I've got that you know you know I somebody killed more people than the other person or whatever you well know. it's it's also extremely controversial because you have the likes of Ben Griffin former SAS mm. uh, saying that the Americans would come back having killed X amount of people during their raids the mm. British SS would come back and go, we we just didn't it wasn't like that. The, the, the targets yeah. that we've been sent, they either weren't players or that, you know, so they're innocent or they weren't in the house we were sent to. They just came back pretty much most nights from what I understand watching Ben's speeches with, you know, it's just the boys come back still with their weapons all fully loaded and not, not, not around spent. Well, that, 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 that shows remarkable um, restraint. Um, in some ways, but I, I think every target's different, you know, every target's different and you can't, you can't really, because it's not like a, it's, you haven't got this, um, this datum line, like, um, like an academic datum line, you know, what target is, you know, um, okay, there's 20 average houses, they've got so much bad guys in there, so much, everything's different and, and the way people react on the target's going to be different. Um, I, I don't think our guys, uh, whether they SAS, SBS, uh, you know, Aussie SAS fucked around at all, you know. Mm. I mean, the, the idea was, you know, take out the bad guys, gather the intelligence and get back. Now, I, I would like to think that if I went into uh, a room, you know, um, one of the things I've done was room combat. You know, I, 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 uh, I, I'm, 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 a, I'm an instructor in that from my time at um, Paul. So I understand. Uh, your perceptions, you know, if you if you've got a crash flash grenade just gone off, you know, and you're you're the first one in the door, you're more likely to press a trigger than anything else. Yeah, I assure you. So okay, just, just you clarify look. there for for our listeners and watchers, you've trained people in this 
yeah. at, at Paul, which is where our yeah. special forces, yeah. Yeah. our special yeah. boat service trains. So yeah. you know a lot about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, room combat basically is 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 getting into a room and um, cl clearing a room or killing the bad guys. Mm. You know, and people, these guys. Uh, you know, you talk about your 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 mate um, Ollie and all that. They do it until it's second nature. They're ninjas at it, mate. Okay. Mm. I mean, my troop, like the Black Troop, would go through the ranges at Garabag. You know, which was the SAS Rangers at the time, and guys say, "Who the fuck are they? They're brilliant." I say, "That's my troop," mm -hmm. because that's all they done. You know, they've done that for six hours a day. You know, they are either on the range doing an combat, you know, parachuting, jumping out of aircraft, doing all this stuff. That was their job. You know, um, you know, roping down all the time and stuff like that. That was their job. The guys um, who are the operators in the uh, in the SAS and and the SBS and and the uh, and the special reconnaissance regiment they are the fucking supreme beings as far as uh, as weapons are concerned you know mm. they are ninjas they are absolutely it's second nature to them as it was to me when i was doing it you know but obviously like you get a bit of skill fade after a while i should imagine you know but um yeah. But these guys, these guys were just doing that all the time, you know. And I think that's why uh, there's one thing coming through uh, a situation, uh, coming through a battle. Okay, so so guys, guys in uh, in the Falklands, you know, they come through a battles. They they've got all their scars to do with that battle, whether it mental or physical or whatever, you know. That's it. Um, and I think that's a difference between being that frontline super infantry type guy and being a guy in that situation from special boat service, special air service, you know, where they've got to do that every night. Okay. They, they do that every night. It's just a job to them. Okay. Now, if they thought about it, it would crack them up. So they have, you know, come back, have a can of beer, get their heads down, prep for the next job. They go and do it. They got their friends around them. They get their. That's what. That's how they get through it, you know. But um, uh, you know, I, I, I just think the strain of that from that um, that task force black time um, was just immense, you know. And, and of course, a lot of casualties, you know, a lot, a lot of SF blokes got got injured. Mm. A lot it's of, interesting. A lot. I'm, I'm talking with a a former SAS wife at the moment, and she's mm. uh, she's kind of we're debating whether to come on the podcast. Probably yeah. is it probably because it would upset a lot of people if they knew yeah. the truth yeah. about what goes on back in, let's say, Hereford, yeah. um, with the broken marriages, the alcoholism, the 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 high suicide rate that's kind of predominant throughout the whole of the forces at the, you know, the, the veterans community at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I actually concur with that. And I think, um, you know, I think there are problems. I have mean, problems in my marriage, mate, to be honest, you know, um, I've, I've had, I've had some, you know, horrendous. The thing is you're never the same person when you, when you get back from doing something, you know? So, um, 
I've had this long discussion about, uh, you know, PTSD and, and all the rest of it, you know, um, well, I'm, sl I'm in a slightly unique uh, position because, you know, all, my, all mine was sort of um, self-induced, you know, whereas <laughs> I'd done it, A, because I liked it, and B, because I was getting paid a lot of money for it, you know. So, so if, if I was looking after a news team in, um, in Baghdad, you know, and there was a contact, you know, and I got them away, you know, I, I didn't sort of go back and, and sweat it and worry about it because I know I probably have to do it the next day anyway, you know? Any trauma that I've, I've gathered through my life, through working as a contractor, mm. uh, you know, either for myself or for the US military, um, you know, I, 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 I suck that up, mate. You know, I, I, don't, I don't complain to people about it because guess what, you know? Um, yeah, I was in Afghanistan and I was, I was under some of the same pressures that the British Army were there, okay? Mm. So, you know, I, I was there for six months with 4-5 Commando and, you know, I sort of rubbed along really, really well with them. But the difference is, them guys were going out you know, on patrol every day, you know. First unit I went to um, Afghanistan with, who was there at the time, was 40 Commando. Mm. And they were down at Sangin, okay? And what was your, can you say for our friends listening, what your role was? It was to do with it was to do with the gathering of intelligence and and using that intelligence to save our guys, basically. You know. Okay. And Sangam wasn't my Sangam wasn't my town, but I, but um, you know, the guy that was the Sangin guy was is a, was a mate of mine. So um, and we were a pretty tight bunch of guys as well, mainly ex um, you know, uh, agent handlers from the British Army. So uh, stroke Marines, and. Um, so, you know, that guy would come back, you know, I'd, I'd be chatting to my mate from Sangin, I was at Nadi Ali, and he'd say, fucking guys are getting smashed. You know, I don't know, it just can't go on, you know. And you'd be talking to uh, the guys and come back from Sangin, and, you know, 60, probably 60 guys there, you know, and they had 10 killed. Mm. And maybe another 15, 20 injured. Mm. You imagine 60 blokes and half, is that that's two sort of second world war uh, casualty yeah. rates, isn't it? You know, yeah. guess what? The guys just cracked on, you know, they just got their job done, come back, done a tour, and they were out on another one before five, you know, later on. So, it, yeah, I've greatest respect for these guys. And the other thing that really pisses me off sometimes is people, old Marines, who say, um, you know, it was a lot harder when I was in. How many times have you heard that? Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, without compromising yourself or anybody else, are you able to? You're using some terms here that I'm aware our 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 listeners um, might struggle with, as I as I did when I started this podcast. Things like I, I had to be told what an agent handler actually was. I mean, I, I I've been in Northern Ireland, obviously, so mm. I can't, I kind of think I know what these terms mean. But are you able to uh, outline what what your various roles have been in intelligence? What are, are there? Is there a name? You know what the names are for that and what the job entailed? Yeah, yeah, I can do. It's all open source information anyway. So um, you know, if you you got on Wikipedia and you um, and you Google through FRU Force Research Unit, 
that was one of, I mean, basically, um, that was a unit I joined when I first went to Northern Ireland. And what that does is you, you go away, you do specialist training, um, very specialist training. You do the same sort of thing that, uh, an, uh, you know, a, a special forces guy would do to a certain extent um, in as much as uh, you, you do an awful lot of, um, well, the, it, the actual, the SAS guys run that side, the training. So, you know, you do a lot of CQB, a lot of close quarter battle, a lot of um, unarmed combat, a lot of um, using a pistol, primarily a pistol and stuff like that. Um, you, you, you learn how to, um, to um, you learn all the skills without going into too much detail for, for an agent handler somebody who's going to run a source within a terrorist organization it's all about human reaction it's all about it's always it's all all about people handling skills you know in 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 normal society you know i mean you've got this guy that you're meeting um who um has been recruited maybe you recruited him maybe you haven't and he's he's inside this terrorist organization so he's shitting himself okay excuse my french you know he he he's got to go and meet you He's got to pass certain stuff for you, and not all of them do it for the money. You know, money is something that that's a byproduct. But a lot of them are just sick of uh, being used, and, and 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 you know, inside these terrorist organisations, and having to do stuff that they don't want to do. They're normal. So a lot of them are nice people. Yeah, some some of them I met have been like like squaddies. They're like um, you know, they've got that same sort of group think that that you would have and you get on really well with them so you've got a certain amount of time you've got to pick them up covertly you've got to take them away you've got to debrief them you've got to ask all the right questions um, yeah, you've got to then uh, produce a report that goes into a system that's that's filtered and checked against other sources that saves lives okay and that's civilian lives soldiers lives uh, livelihoods, lives, you know, um, such and such a place is going to get bombed or there's going to be a mortar attack against uh, Nuri police station or, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. How do you, and, I would just say, how, I mean, what if they're a double agent? Uh, no, because um, there's certain checks and balances um, that, that we employ that that's not going to happen, okay? It's not like um, it's, it's not like some of these fascinating stories from the Second World War. Have you, have you heard about Agent Zigzag? Yes. Um, yeah, fantastic. You know this guy who was a criminal. You know, banged up in uh, you know the uh, Channel Islands. You know, the Germans get him to work for him. And he goes and he does a great job, and they think he's doing a brilliant job. But he's working for MI5 because he's given himself up. So he's the only guy at the end of the war that gets. Uh, an Iron Cross from Hitler and an MBE from the Queen. <laughs> what a fascinating story. Now, it doesn't happen like that because people are, are, um, are checked out. Um, they're recruited for certain things. A lot of people um, a lot of people are doing it for various reasons that aren't just about the money. Some of it is about the money, okay? Uh, but they do it for other reasons as well. So you take that basic template, you know, which is the British Army uh, agent handling template, and uh, you know, and it's worked all over the place. Um, you know, you're talking about Kosovo, you know, 
it, it was working there, it was working in Bosnia, it was working, um, uh, you know, in Iraq, it was working in Afghanistan, uh, you know, everywhere we put troops, you know, lives on the line, there will be people there who are trying to gather the information, gather that intelligence to uh, gather information to turn into intelligence to protect, to protect their people. And that's all it is. You know, there's nothing political about it. There's nothing. Uh, I guess. You know, I, I guess when you have a source like that, they're genuine to to a certain degree. They could always be plant, plants, I suppose. But I guess we think through our seventies television, we think of grasses, don't we? That they're doing it sort of to get off a, a prison sentence, or they've got, they've got. There are various motivating factors why, why somebody would be a source. But it's actual fact is picking up the motivating factors, you know, because part of the job is recruiting people as sources, mm. you know. So, you know, you need motivating factors. You need, this, you need to look behind what, you know, this guy has got problems with debt or this guy is having a run-in with such and such a person or, you know, he's in a bad position at the moment. I wonder if he needs any money. There's, there's loads of different ways that you could actually, you know, um, go about recruiting a source. But, but once, once people are running, it's, it's really weird. Um, it's a bit like anything where there's a close, not close bond, that would be wrong, um, where, where there's good relationships between people. These people can become team players, you know. So he's really wanting to do his best in the team he's in mm. rather than a team he's working against you know and we've seen that in in northern ireland with uh, with um the old steak knife saga you know so there, there's a guy there who um i'm, I'm, I'm not going to go into talking about him because it's a bit contentious you know, basically you know a guy that had been inside the provisional ira as their security bloke okay yeah so he was the guy that looked after their security but he'd been running as an agent for the British Army for 30 years. Yeah. Oh, I think... What people I, I, don't understand I, I, is if they could look through some of the information that that guy... He saved hundreds of lives. Mm. But that's never, never mentioned, you know. Um, you know, the, the fact that, um, you know, he, he actually, you know, saved loads of people's lives. That's that's never mentioned, you know, because that's why he was doing it, basically, you know. Uh, he was doing yeah. it for lots of different reasons. There's some, and there's, there's always some, more than one motivating factor. There's some interesting kind of intel that's come out in recent years about how the IRA actually was managed, isn't there? And I think but, I get I'm I think some of these guys would be quite surprised if they knew who ultimately were controlling them? Um, yeah, it, the, the 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 thing about uh, the thing about the RAR is like um, it's like any other group of people, you know, you know, any group of people is a biological uh, mechanism, isn't it? You know, it's to do with it's to do with people, groups of people, and um, you know, some of them are in there for, for different reasons. Everyone's got their own motivating factor why they want to be in that organisation. And some of them don't want to be in that organisation, okay? Uh, but this is the thing. The reason people, the reason Northern Ireland conflict finishes, finished, 
And um, there's loads of books that you can you, you can read reference this. But one of the reasons it finished is because the IRA didn't know what was compromised and what wasn't. Nobody could guarantee putting a job together that would work. Mm. You know? And when things started going wrong for them in, in traditional areas like Tyrone and um, Cross McGlen uh, and, you know, South Armagh, um, that's when they had to really think, look, this is not going our way. We need to try and get something out of this. So that's how the, that's what, that's what got the peace process going. You know, it was nothing else to do with, uh, you know, body counts or, you know, blowing up this or doing this or doing the other. You know, it was about the fact that they couldn't put a fucking job together, you know, mm-hmm. unless somebody knew about it. And, uh, yeah, and that was people. What did we call? We called them touts, didn't we? Was that the thing? In yeah, we talk. We call them. We call them touts. Yeah, not very, very. That was the IRA called them touts. Mm. That that's an IRA word. We called them Brussels because Brussels sprout rhymes with tout. Oh, okay. <laughs> it gets so such a complex weave of of gameplay, though, doesn't it? Because there must have been jobs that the British. Uh, let's just say MOD as an umbrella term, uh, allowed to go ahead in Northern Ireland, knowing people were going to get killed, but maybe it was kind of a, a control. No, I, I, would, I, would say, I would say now, and I would say 100% on my heart, swear to you as a friend, uh, swear on my mother, well, I can't mother's life, she's dead. Children's life, okay. Everything that was done uh, when I was doing that job, and everybody I knew doing that job, it was about saving human life, okay? Mm. Right. So, hypothetical uh, situation here, all right? Your, 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 your source comes in, your agent comes in, and he says, right, we are going to attack, um, okay, Let, let's put it in a... Uh, you know, let's just say it's it's uh, Strand Road Police Station, Belfast, okay? I'm going to be with these people. I'm going to be driving this car, okay? We're picking the car up here, okay? The bomb's getting loaded on here, okay? And then we're going to drive from there to there, and then we're going to bomb that police station. And it's going to happen at six o'clock tomorrow evening okay so you know exactly when it's going to happen now there's only that guy and three other blokes that know that yeah yeah so if anything goes wrong okay where any of them guys if they if they get they get ambushed okay and all four of them die okay you might get away with that okay one one guy doesn't okay he he goes in and all of a sudden they know that was a tout somewhere okay yeah. and it was one of those people because it's a circle of knowledge is only four people so what does a guy in my position do yeah you stop it any other way okay you make sure that there's unusual police activity around or you you declare a bomb alert on the street down the road that we're going to drive up or you do something that they won't know won't know that you've prevented it okay but you've prevented it and you've preserved your sources the integrity of your source 
so he can keep telling you when things are going to go wrong in the future. Yeah. You know, this could idea be, that... Could there be a situation, buddy, where, let's just say there's a job here where they're going to take out three people in a pub bomb or something or shooting, yeah. but that tout is also linked to this job here where it's going to be a massive bomb in a, in a shopping centre that's going to kill possibly 50, 70 people where this job has to be allowed to go ahead because to stop it would, like you say, expose this. Uh, you know, I don't think, I would say, I don't think that's ever happened. You know, I, you know, uh, I, I was, I, I'm only talking about my time. Okay. There. And I'm, I'm talking about not only in Northern Ireland, but I'm talking about in Afghanistan. I'm talking about in Iraq. Okay. Yeah. Um, the most important thing is preserving human life. Okay. And you should never have to make the choice between three or 50 or, or whatever. The minute the three comes up, then you prevent that. But you can, you can, you, you, you want to keep your source running because he's saving lives. So you don't want to compromise him either, but there's various ways that you can use to, to not compromise him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is like terrorist organizations, people talk about terrorist organizations as if they're like spectre, you know, James Bond, Spectre, you know, like you know, guys, you know, plotting away. They're not. They're normal human beings. So, I mean, I've had some real, real funny things, you know, with 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 uh, with with uh, the agent handling scene, you know, where, you know, right, the guy, the, this thing didn't happen. Okay, um, you know, guy phoned you up and said, "Look, I, there was going to be a mortar attack." Uh, but it's not going to happen now. Why is that? Oh, so-and-so lost the keys to the lorry. Yeah. Or we were driving there and there was not enough petrol and we couldn't fucking bill it up. Or so-and-so's gone on holiday down south because he's just got married, you know, and he, he was a guy that was supposed to zero the Barrett, you know. Just fucking weird things that people wouldn't even think about because, you know, terrorists are human beings as well, you know. They're sometimes warped, you know, but we're not dealing with the ideologies that we do with, you know, um, Al Qaeda or fucking ISIS or whatever, you know. These guys try and live as normal a life as they can. You know, they've got kids, they've got families, they, they live in communities, they, they, they do stuff. And they're the bad guys, you know. So, yeah, it's yeah, fascinating. In fact, it's more fascinating than the James Bond thing to me. Yeah, it gets interesting. Yeah. I mean, I stopped a guy in the Ardoin, so hardcore Republican area. Yeah. He's English. He's from like, <laughs> uh, like Norwich or something, right? And yeah. And here's the thing: something just tells you this. This is not right. I mean, you are hated. But I'm talking back then, and you know, make no no claims about now. But back then, you know. The, you are hated in that area. You are not, if you walked into yeah. it, you would disappear within six minutes. Yeah. And you, no one would ever hear about, or you yeah. might turn up a dead body on a country road. Yeah. So I'm there, you know, chatting to this guy, oh, you're English, oh, okay. And we used to do this, I won't say the acronym, but we used to do this check over the radio, yeah. obviously, on, to, to the yeah. intelligence services, or to the, to the, police and yeah. um 
it would come back and tell you whether they were sus- suspected yeah. of, of yeah. Um, IRA activity or or, yeah. or another organization's yeah. activity. And this guy comes back, yes, he is. So then you're like, ah, right, this is how he's managed to live this long in this this area is, is he's involved in this. I mean, there was one situation where we got this guy, I, I don't want to like give too much details away, I don't want to compromise, but he'd, he'd left a bong out in his front room and a mm. load of weed, right? Mm. We, we were doing, we were doing um, searches for, for command wires, so the, the yeah. wires, wires that can be laid years in advance, literally years in advance of detonating a bomb, that mm. wire can be put in someone's garden. They don't know. They've got no idea about it. It can be run up a drain pipe. And, it, 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 you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, Bernie. But so we're looking for them. This guy's got all this paraphernalia in his front room. Back then, you know, you're, you're young, quite naive. You're looking just to get an arrest all the time or to, yeah. to, get, to do something for your unit, you know. So, of course, this poor guy got hammered for just smoking a bit of weed, which, which to us is like nothing in, in, in this country. But, of course, it there, you're then at risk of getting kneecapped by the provost, yeah. by, by the IRA, because mm-hmm. uh, on the one hand, their public faces is they're controlling the area of drugs. Mm. On the other side of the fence, they're bringing all the drugs alleg- allegedly we're bringing all the drugs into Belfast. In fact, some of our... Um... It's amazing. Some, I mean, I was there actually at that time, and um, I'm sure it still goes on now. Because, um, because, you know, the IRA, you know, like Jerry Adams said, hasn't gone away. It's transmuted. It's become a, a criminal organisation rather than a political organisation. But the same fuckers are running the same scams, doing the same stuff, you know, um, they, they, they run all the pornography, they run all the, all the bits and bobs, the illegal drinking clubs. And it's the same people. They just, you know, they can't justify it anymore. And they do big on, on deals with the, with, the, with, the, with the prod paramilitaries, you know. And they'll meet up and they'll chat about, you know, uh, well, we're bringing this stuff in from Holland. Do you want to go hard on, you know, how much it costs or, or whatever, you know. So it... it it, it 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 sort of pisses me off in a way because you know people think that it's all hunky dory now. It's not. It's no Belfast is not hunky dory at all. I think I think the, the generation that's growing up now is less bitter than the generation before, and that's my only hope. And you can go to um, you can go you can have a great night out in Belfast. You know, really, as long as you go into um, a sort of um, free fire zone where everybody doesn't talk about politics, you know, so you go down the city centre, cathedral quarter, you can chat away, you know, nobody brings up politics, nobody cares, nobody gives a shit whether you're English or or whatever, you know, nobody cares really. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be able to go down the felon's bar in fucking West Belfast and order a pint, you know. No, it's not going to It's not got that. going to happen. You the, know. The, the hatred there when I was there on both sides. Yeah. This is not. Oh, it's visceral. visceral. And no. people, you know, don't understand um, the visceral hatred that people had of 
of, uh, of security forces in general. For, for good reasons sometimes, to be honest, you know, I mean, like, um, we are, we, I mean, in the core, we are our own worst enemies sometimes, mate, to be honest, you know, because, you, you know, you did rule the rod of Ireland. When I was a, when I was a, a, a corporal in, 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 uh, in 4-1 Commando and I had my own multiple and a Saracen armoured car, that was my town, you know. Mm. I didn't want anybody else in that town. You know, and and we were we were we were hard on the players, especially you know, players as in IRA guys, because um, that they would just get fucking beaten up. Basically, they'll get they'll get abused. Uh, we know. were just you know we we were all guilty of that. I mean, it gets hard. Yeah, we stopped the guy, or one of our teams stopped the guy that shot the guy behind me three times. Right. Yeah. So I was on. We were on patrol. Yeah. Jock, as he's referred to in my book, was hit three times, and of course, you know who's the fight because, like you say, there's so much. Yeah. So many touts and intelligence. Someone mm. goes, "Oh, that that." I'm not even going to say the guy's name, but I rem remember it like it's yesterday. Yeah. Oh, that was so. You know, Seamus mm. so and so, right? So you know mm. who it is. You also know that they now happen to be walk, trying to walk down the pavement past you. Or let's just say in a you know proverbial dark alley, and you know what are you supposed to do when you're 19 years old and this is the guy that's just right? And I'm not set. I'm not. I make no judgment on any of that. I'm not. No. I'm in no position to say what is right, what is wrong, what it should be in in this country or that. I I, I don't even know sometimes the correct terminology to use because i'm not out to offend anyone i don't think it it helps but what i do think helps is um communication and talk and if if the the way some of us behaved in northern ireland what it wasn't going to in it they couldn't have been it wouldn't any be to anybody no i i totally agree with you there mate i mean like i was i was one of the worst offenders to be honest but you know, guess what? You know, everything comes to an end, okay. And um, I, 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 I was, I was always very, very uh, careful about my security and saying what I'd done and what I didn't do and all the rest of it. You know, and I remember I live in Northern Ireland a lot, Marty. And um, uh, but since uh, the ceasefire and since everything, I don't see why I can't go and um, you know go to a Remembrance Day parade, you know, in Belfast, wearing my beret and my medals because I don't give a shit what they think, to be honest. Mm. Okay, I don't care about them. They don't care about me. You know, one thing, one thing I would say is that um, for for young people um, who who are subjected to terrorism. Um, to operating against a terrorist organisation, you know, whether it be in West Belfast or Cross Glen or whatever. What what civilians um, don't understand is the hate that's there, okay? It's not to do with politics. You don't give a shit what their politics is, really. You know, I used to talk to IRA people and say, look, we've got more fucking unemployed in our country than you've got in your country, you know? Mm. Um, I, I, I didn't... I didn't I didn't have any axe to grind with, with what they'd done. The only thing was they were trying to kill me, okay, and my friends. And because of that, and because you 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 hate them, and they hate you, and it's a real 
visceral, horrible hate, you know, when you're spat at and, you know, you're abused and everything, you know, and, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not saying, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not espousing that, you know, should be able to burn villages down and rape and pillage, you know what I mean? But people do react, you know, and, and they expect a certain amount of reaction, to be honest, you know, and um, they've got the, the, probably the, the guys that done worse in them situations were people that tried to understand the local population rather than people who just, right, let's make it very difficult for them to come and target us. Every time they pitch up somewhere, we'll stop them, we'll search them, we'll take their cars apart, we'll take the wheels off their cars, we'll just be complete assholes to them. And eventually they don't come into town, and if they don't come into town, they can't target you. And it worked. I'll tell you my, a funny little story. We're on one of the, one of the famous roads in Belfast, and the big thing during our tour was we kept getting mortared yeah. When the mortar alarm goes off, you've got to grab your flat jacket, put just pull it over the top of you and get under get under a bed or whatever. And you lie there all giggling like blooming school children, wait, wait, waiting for the bangs to go off. So when they're fired, there's a bang. The sentry raises the alarm on his radio, so sentry around the camp. The guard commander then puts the mortar alarm on, you all get under your beds and then you've got to wait for the bang where is this thing gonna is it gonna land on me am i gonna be yeah. dead i'll be honest i know people say you're supposed to be scared i i've said this a few i, I never was i for me no. it, it was all just incredibly good fun which is the wrong thing about war it's why young men keep keep you know keep joining up one time when i was doing that job because what i was working out of um, south Amar, i was the most a mortared person in the British forces. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I stopped this vehicle, Bernie, right? Yeah. And in the back, there's a sheet obviously covering something up, right? Mm. So I said, sir, you know, driver's license or ID, I can't remember what it was. And I'm, 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 I'm looking at it. So could you open your boot, please, sir? And the guy just, like, opened his boot and I as he was standing there I'm not realizing he's still praying I'm not gonna lift this sheet up as if as if I'm not gonna you know he lifts the boot up and he stands there like that. I threw back this sheet. Oh my God. It's a mortar base plate. Mortar tubes. <laughs> There's six black tubes, metal tubes all welded up in iron. Yeah. up like that and I just turned around and I said to my brick commander smudge over here mate and he was chatting to another civilian on the street and he looked over he went one minute Chris I said smudge just come here now and he went huh, what have you found a mortar base plate and I went yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I've got my guy, I've got my hand on this guy, like, mate, you're fucking not moving. And he's, <laughs> he, he, he is clearly not moving, right? Yeah. And as, like, Smudge comes over, this guy goes, it's a firework display. 
And I'm like, oh yeah, pulled up. He said, no, I'm, I'm, I do firework displays. I cover it up because I'm always getting stopped. I'm like, mate, you nearly got killed. <laughs> you know, it was like, if, if the guy had decided to like run away, I mean, he didn't, thank God. It would have been like, oh, that's your, you know, that's just yeah. like, is he going to operate? Is he going to pull the plug on, you know, push the trigger on this thing? Yeah. It was, so, yeah, so that was um, a lot of funny. I, I, I won't talk over you, Bernie, but yeah. I'll tell people the story once of how we're patrolling along in Belfast and there's a bear, big fucking grizzly or something there standing on a log. <laughs> that it's like we're saying only in the marines do you have these bizarre <laughs> situations that you know yeah but there we now i mean you know i look back on all that and um i i just think that um oh it's been great experience you know mm. and i wouldn't like to be anyone else to be honest you know i could do with being a good bit richer you know I need I need this film to take off. I need the books to get sold a bit. So but, uh, apart from that, I'm going to be all right. Let's talk about your artistry then. So you've written several books, um, according to Marty. And did you? Yeah, yeah. I'm a, the film. So uh, yeah, there, there, there's a film in the offing. You know, Marty is working on it with me. Um, it's called A Shadowing of Angels. My my um, my central character is a bit different. She's a female um, special forces. A soldier you know uh, hard as nails beautiful looking you know she's a bit of a female James Bond type I must admit um, but then she um, the first book really is when she's um, she leave, leaves the army under a cloud uh, ambushing Hellman goes wrong um, she's sort of blamed for it the then she joins the um, what we call the circuit in London uh, they are the military contractors. You know, I was on the circuit. Military contractors that do jobs all over the world, um, and um, they get the job to release an Amer American hostage that's been seized by ISIS. Uh, so that was the first book. Second book is the second part of the trilogy, A Falling of Angels, which is now out as well. And the third book I'm working on at the moment. Um, and uh, I should, I, I. Um, yeah, it's 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 sort of it's like when you start writing a book, you sort of know how it's going to start. You sort of know how it finishes. And some authors, as you probably yourself, you know, you plot plot out what you're going to write. I start like that, but it never quite works out. <laughs> so uh, you got so, yeah, I find it very cathartic as well. So all these things that are happening in my book um, are based on fact in a way you know not you know it's factual so when you see a room combat how somebody goes into room that's the way it happens when you talk about the door charge or you to do it it happens when you talk about the weapons they are there the tactics are there um when you're talking about because a lot of it's to do with agent handling um the agent handling techniques the debrief techniques and all the rest of it are there that's what happens so it gives somebody uh, an insight into a different world, you know, and I think every book should do that. I mean, you know, I like, uh, I used to love um, uh, Tolkien when I was a kid, you know, um, and just, you know, Lord of the Rings just took me to somewhere else, you know, it just took me out of 
my shitty little council house in South London. So, I, you know, I think books should do that. They should, they should, you should, you should be absorbed in them. You should take you somewhere different, somewhere you don't know. And, and maybe learn a bit about, you know, sort of the way these things work, you know. Because, uh, you know, else you live life through this prism of Jason Bourne, you know, James Bond. And, you know, it's not real life. You know, it's not real life. It'd be great if it was, you know. I'd like to be driving around Aston Martin and, and all the rest of it, but fuck's sakes, you know, don't happen. You know, the most beat up car is the best one when you, when you source happening. <laughs> so Bernie, we, we, we should, um, what's your author name? Uh, it's WT Delaney. Okay. Shadowing of angels by WT Delaney, a falling of angels. Can I just show the book? Hey, this is your show, mate. You show what you like. There it is there. It's a very reasonable price. I'm not sure what it is anyway. But it's a good read. It's had some great reviews and uh, people love it. Um, it's just, um, it's just um, trying to get myself organised. As we talked about, Chris, I'm, I'm sort of a, a different generation than you. And um, I, f I find it very hard to... Um, to use this sort of media, you know, to, 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 to get my points of view or to get to, to, to sell my wares for want of a better word, you know. Um, and uh, but I, I love I love getting, you know, comments back from people. I really thoroughly enjoyed that. I read it in two days or stuff like that. So I, I find that that gives me a boost as well. You know, yeah, really. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that after, because as I said, it's the. The podcast, the whole podcasting thing has really been good for certain individuals and certain businesses. It yeah. won't work. It won't work for everyone. You've got to have a certain um, aspect to your character that, yeah. make, that makes you want people want to listen to you, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll see other people. And then you've also got to sort of be able to put it across right there's guess what i was gonna say there's other podcasters out there that have way um what 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 you'd say more high caliber guests than me right yeah not, I, that that's a real shitty thing in itself because i mean not i've got the likes of yourself bernie i've spoke to ollie yesterday you know yeah Robbie Williams phoned the other day for a chat. It, it, it's so, and I never put anybody above any other human being on this planet. Yeah, but you know, Robbie Williams used to have bootnecks looking after it at one stage. Still does, yeah, still does. We, yeah, were, yeah. we were having a chat about that. Yeah. But here's yeah, the my thing. mate, Mark is one of them. From from this nonsense celebrity yeah. point of view that we yeah. the world we live in, these other podcasters have these, you know, big big selling names, right? Yeah. But they don't have the way the delivery. They don't have that bootneck, something that you know. Yeah. Yeah. Even our humour, people who've not been in, they get, they get, they kind yeah. of, they, yeah. they, they get the depth of character behind it. You know that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And that that um, they they tell they can tell by the way we talk that we know what we're talking about. Or there's yeah. probably a lot that we're not actually talking about. Yeah. And and so yeah, it's a it's a whole whole interesting um situation um but yeah 
So let, I just, just want to finish off author to author. Yeah. How long does it take you to write a book? Too long is a word. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not organized and I should be really. Um, hi, oh, I, I, um, yeah, I, I, th I think, you know, about a year for me um, from start to finish. But then other things get in the way, you know, because um, like uh, you know, I worked in Africa last year and I was away for an oil company and I was I go to Poland. I do um, I do lecturing and mentor mentoring with uh, with senior officers before they go to Kabul and um, Baghdad. I do that as well. So, um, you know, I'm not I'm not one of these people that can, um, you know, do m more than one thing at a time. You know, I have to concentrate on that particular thing. I can't multitask. That's the word that I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so um, even now, um, I I should be uh, writing the book every day, but then I do. I've got. I'm working on the next script for the for the for the next book with Marty, um, and um, uh, then I'm getting your chapter in, and then I have to do research because I like things that are really thoroughly researched. So research is a lot of it. And then as an author, you'd know a part of, of your work, part of your skill is reading, you know? So you have to read a lot, you know, to get that sort of, that, that impetus, that, that impetus into the book. So when you, um, when you like, see these authors, Bernie, and they yeah. bring out four books a year and you're like, you didn't fucking write that. Yeah, I believe. And the other thing is um, I, I, I got into writing um quite in quite a strange way really because um i've always loved i've always loved uh, literature always loved reading and and you know my the english has always been pretty good never brilliant and then i um i decided that i get a bit of intellectual body armor and I'd, I'd done a couple of masters you know and if you can master academic language you know and you can work within that 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 genre then like writing a novel isn't isn't that bad, you know, because you know, so I I done a uh, I done a um, uh, a um, a terrorism studies course at St Andrews. So it was a masters Emlet and um no and that was two years of my life. And uh, when I looked at the first um essay that I put in and I looked at the the last one there was so much difference, you know, it's a great university, you know, it does bring you on a lot. So, so that was, that was my, um, that was my sort of, uh, which, which uni was that mate? Sorry. St. Andrews up in Scotland. Okay. Where, where Prince William went, although not the same time as me. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was if he'd gone the same time as you. He, he could have killed two birds with one stone, Bernie. He could have done his studies and, had his bodyguard there. <laughs> in actual fact, my son, you know, done the same thing with a, with a, um, uh, this is my other son, Jason, who's in the States at the moment. He, uh, he, he worked, um, he got offered a job. I got him the job actually looking after a, uh, Bruneian prince, Bruneian prince at Sandhurst. Um, so he, t he was with him for two years at Oxford and then took him to Sandhurst as well for a year. And uh, Jay, Jason earned an awful lot of money. Guess what he done? He put himself through medical school, and now he's a surgeon in the states. Wow! Good effort. 
Good yeah, I'll tell you what, it, you know, one thing the core does, it, it teaches you, it gives you a, a good work ethic, you know, I think. Yeah. You know, and it gives you that, um, it gives you that um, spiritual body armor that you need through hard times. And then maybe university and, and studies give you the intellectual body armor that you need mm. when you're operating with people that are admirals and, you know, you know, it just, it just helps, you know. Um, I think the Marines, as, the Marines as well produce more authors than the other branches of the forces. Well, we, can, and, and we, can always, we can always tell a good dip, mate, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> Bernie, thank you ever so much. Just stay on the line because there's a couple of things after I've said yeah. my official goodbyes that we can, um, yeah. we can discuss. But yeah, uh, yeah. wow. I'm, I'm just exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and and as we both know we didn't even touch the surface as i know no. i know that there's we didn't touch the surface of each subject let alone your whole your whole life I'll tell you what would be a good idea is to just um i don't know i mean if you want to do this again and just hit on a su certain subject and then we talk we talk we talk why, about that why don't we don't do why don't we do this to the people watching mm. leave us a question in the comments and, that, and then we'll go for that. And then we'll yeah. pick it up again and we'll just go through yeah. them and we'll answer yeah. what you want to know about yeah. spying and bodyguard yeah. work and military and yeah. special forces and yeah. unarmed combat. I mean, Jesus, it's yeah. it reads like a boy's own novel for, for mm. sociopaths, doesn't it? Psychopaths. <laughs> or, or should, I, should I say very, very driven individuals? Driven individuals, yeah. yes. Yeah. So, mate, let's chat again soon. To everybody at home, please like, and, if you could like and subscribe, you can consider joining my Patreon team for £2 a month. Just helps me to do what I do, but also you get kind of all the inside stuff then. Get to come and meet me at my annual talk, get my books, etc., etc. And uh, big love to you and your families. See you next time. See you, guys. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username Chris Thrall. Instagram Chris.Thrall. Thank you.